If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them however you get your Bible, whether it's on an electronic device, um, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, or whether you get it uh, through the book form, uh, you can open that up to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. And so that one that's in the seat back in front of you, you may take home. No one will stop you. We have people who restock those pews with Bibles. And so we want you to have a Bible. And we want you to read it. And we want you to bring your questions. And uh, we would love to talk more with you about that. So however you get your Bible, open it to First Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to begin at verse 6. Now, I want to do something... And I don't want to embarrass anyone at all, but the passage today is for, in some ways, it really is going to hone in on our younger people. And so if, if I could do this just really quick, okay, because I want to read this and I want, I want us to be thinking about our younger people. So could I have anyone who is 30 or younger just stand where you are. The rest of us, stay seated. I don't mean that you feel this way in your hearts. You are actually 30 or younger. Okay, good. Now stay standing, all right? I want you to hear this today. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Here we go. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. All right, our young people, you may be seated. Thank you for doing that. I hope you'll lean in and listen in today. Of all of our teachings, we've been talking about how young Timothy was. But today, we not only close our series, but uh, this is really geared towards those of you who are in the younger generation. I forgot. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. All right. Well, we've had a great series. I don't know about you. I've really enjoyed preaching this series. I hope you've enjoyed hearing this series. But we've learned a lot of things about what it means to be a leader. We know that this letter was written to Timothy, who was a pastor and a leader in the church of Ephesus. But we have learned that this is not just about pastors, even though these are called the pastoral letters or the pastoral epistles, that we, we've learned that we all have a place of leadership. 
No matter how old or young you are, you have a place to lead. Even if it's in just feeding the dog in the morning. It is a place that you can lead if Christ is a part of you. And so today we have a couple of things out of this passage that I want us to know about that Christian leaders know. Or they should know. And if you don't know, I encourage you to learn this. So first of all, we learn that... Oh, this is off. We learn that Christian leaders know that spiritual maturity doesn't happen by accident. I want to say that again. Your body may grow up as long as you... We we think it just kind of grows up. But there's a lot of actions that go into even growing your physical body. You have to eat. You have to take care of it. And you will grow. Spiritual maturity does not happen by accident. It is an intentional process that I want us to begin to look at today. Paul says it like this. He says to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myth and old wives' tales. Now, we've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks looking at that, so I'm not going to go over that again. If you're interested in knowing more about that, then I would encourage you to check out the podcast and you can kind of catch up to speed to get to this one. But rather, I want us to go on with Paul. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So I want you to hear this. Training for godliness, because it seems so strange. I know you were waiting for your Greek words to learn this week, so here they are. Are you ready? The first word is the word for training. It's a fun word to say because it's just kind of strange sounding. It is the word gumnadze. All right, are you ready to say gumnadze? Ready? One, two, three. Gumnadze. Very good. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Gumnadze. And as you can see, gumnadze is not just about showing up at the gym and walking uh, very lightly on a treadmill. Gumnadze means exercise vigorously. It's, it means you push the button up and you incline that thing because you're exercising vigorously. You're going and you're, when you finish with the treadmill, you're going to move on to the, the pull-up bar. And when you finish with the pull-up bar, you're going to move to the sit-ups. And when you finish your sit-ups, you're going to... You get what I mean? Are you sweating already? Gumnadze, exercise vigorously. But he's not talking about physical exercise. He's saying gumnadze and eusebia. There's that word again that has been all through the book of Timothy. It means godliness. But we have understood that godliness is not self-righteousness, but it is exhibiting the behaviors of Jesus in our everyday lives. So Paul is encouraging Timothy, have nothing to do with these, these godless tales and these, these, uh, things that lead, these tales that lead nowhere. But train yourself, exercise vigorously in seeing the behaviors of Jesus come into your life. So there is a little bit of stuff that you and I are called to do. Because if we want to be spiritually mature, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens through intention. And so I want us to begin just briefly to look at some spiritual disciplines. Because spiritual disciplines are really the gymnasium of Christian maturity. I'm not going to go into these in detail. I'm going to look at just a few of them that are sometimes confusing. But I want to take this opportunity to let you know that in a couple of weeks, Katrina Lyle will, and her Sunday school class will start uh, going through the book called A Celebration of Discipline. And it is all about the spiritual disciplines. And so if you see this and you're like, I, I feel like I want to be more intentional. I want to be spiritually mature. I want to gumnadze then maybe you want to sign up for the class. 
and be a part of it. I think you'll be glad you did. Spiritual disciplines are the gymnasium of Christian maturity. And what Stephen Foster, who wrote the book, A Celebration of Discipline, says is sometimes we can look at exercise, any kind of exercise, and kind of go, oh, exercise. It's awful. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to do that. But he says, really, the motivation, if you've encountered Christ and you want to mature in His love, that joy is the keynote of all the things that you will be asked to do in these spiritual disciplines. And the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery of self-interest and fear. Self-interest and fear. You want a good definition of what sin is? It's self-interest mixed with fear. Fear that drives you to just try and grab all you can to push others away. To just look out for number one. He says this, these disciplines, these things that people have been doing for thousands of years, these are the things that if you're intentional about them, you will begin to see the behaviors of Jesus, godliness, come into your life. The Spirit will move. So let's look at them. They're broken up into three categories. The first category are the inward disciplines. There's meditation, there's prayer, there's fasting, and there's study. I want to talk just briefly about meditation because that one tends to get a little uh, weird or sounds a little weird, sounds a little new agey and all that kind of stuff. But meditation, when Paul is talking about meditation, he's not talking about sitting cross-legged on the floor with your hands on your knees and going om, om, om for hours and hours and hours. That's not the meditation Paul is talking about. The meditation that Paul's talking about, well, let me just give you an example from my life. So a few weeks ago, I was doing a little devotional studies for myself in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And I was struck as I was reading by the verse uh, 320. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And the part that jumped out at me was according to his power that is at work in us. And I began to think about that. It just like jumped. It grabbed my heart. It was like something in the reading was saying, Jeff, do you realize that his power the power that created all that there is, the the power of love that was willing to die on a cross, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. You let that grab you, it'll change your life. And I just kept... I read it out loud a few times as I was going until it was in my head, until it was in my mind and I could say it over and over. And then as I went through my day, I tried to keep in touch with according to his power, not my power, his power at work in me. And so when I was looking at the church, it was giving me new lenses and new vision because, because then God was saying, yeah, His power is at work in us too. It's at work in the church. His power is here. When I had to say something difficult to somebody or I had to say, do something that I wasn't really looking forward to, I was reminded in my mind, His power is at work in me. This is a good example of what Christian meditation looks like. And the psalm writer tells us, Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. 
So we're called to meditate. I think you can do that. If you want to know more about that, go to Katrina's class. Fasting is the other one that's a little difficult for us. Because you're probably saying, Pastor, didn't we just have a sermon last week where we weren't supposed to give up food that all things that God has created are good? Yes, that's true. Here's the difference. What Paul was talking about with the Ephesian church is that there were people that were saying that certain foods were bad and if you ate them, they made you bad. Fasting is not about that. Fasting is about intentionally giving up something good for a set period of time in order to rely more fully on God. A lot of times people will give up food or diminish food. And when they're hungry... They'll use that as a sign to say, as hungry as my body is for food, that's how hungry I want to be for God. It's not about, you know, if I, if I give up food, then God's going to give me a million dollars. That's not fasting. That's genie thinking, and genie in a bottle. No, fasting is a good thing. All right, you probably understand prayer and study. If not, see Katrina. All right, outward disciplines. Outward disciplines are simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. That sounds like a sermon right there, doesn't it? They all line up, all with us. Simplicity is in a culture that says grab all you can. You intentionally say, no, I'm going to live with less. That's what simplicity is. Solitude in a culture that bombards you constantly with sound, with noise, with commercials, and you, there are people everywhere. You intentionally get alone with God, and you don't have any of those things to distract you, and you spend some time in solitude. This is what Jesus did when he went out 40 days in the wilderness. Solitude. Submission, that's the one that's probably hardest for our culture. But it is simply saying that sometimes learning to obey God is developed as we learn to obey someone else. That's not easy to say. Now, I want to I I put a big thing in here. Are you ready? Choose the person you obey wisely. This is not about some, you know, just letting yourself be abused by someone. But it is someone who you know has your best interest in mind. Think of him as a coach who's going to develop the talent you have for football or whatever sport it might be that they're encouraging. They may tell you to do uh, hard things, difficult things, and you're going to obey them because you want to be a better football player. So it needs to be someone like that, a coach, a trainer, someone who has your best interest in mind. For some of you young people, it might be your parents. To learn to obey helps you learn to obey God as well. Parents, don't let me go too far by saying, who are you learning to obey in order to be the best parent you can be? Are you reading? Are you, are you seeking help if you need it? You might need to learn to obey a teaching that will help you to shepherd your kids in ways that they long to obey. Does that make sense? Okay. And service. I'm so glad yesterday, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on it, that we had a group that went and helped the Buchanan Church because there is something about serving where we learn about the God who came not to be served, but to what? Serve. You see how these connect? 
And so we're, we're going to have some more coming up in the future. Our goal, part of our 10-4 vision, is that we'll do one of these every other month. And so you want to sign up and be a part of it. We've got a bunch this month. I think the teens are going to serve the homeless meals down, uh, downtown tonight. And we've got our work day coming up. It's in these moments that, that we learn about the God who came to serve. Then there are the corporate disciplines, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. I'm only going to talk about confession because that's the one that's a little difficult. It seems like, I don't know about confession. We're Protestants and we kind of don't do that anymore. Why can't I just tell God instead of another human being? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. It says what? Confess your sins to who? Anybody? One another. Oh my goodness. Yeah, scary, huh? Again, choose the right person. But there is something about confessing the places where I have missed the mark and blown it that reminds me of my dependence on God and begins to give me grace for those when they blow it with me. This is a part of what these disciplines are. And we're to do them gumnadze. We are to really do this vigorously and be a part of these things. You don't have to do them all at once. I don't think anybody could. But if you're struggling in a particular area, choose one. I really want to encourage you to be a part of Katrina's class for that. I love this quote that Leo Tolstoy says. He says, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing themselves. But if we took a little time and let God change us, that's where the world will be changed. So let's lean in. Let's exercise vigorously these disciplines. Lastly, our last point of the series. Letters and letters to leaders. And that is that Christian leaders should know that spiritual maturity is not always based on numerical age. Oh man, that hurts. Let me read that again. Christian leaders know that spiritual maturity is not always based on numerical age. You can't just sit in a pew and grow older. That doesn't necessarily mean you're being spiritually mature. Paul says to Timothy like this, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love in faith and in purity. In other words, in all of your life. Set the example for the believers, even if you are young. I love this. Maturity is not a matter of years. It is a matter of your connection with Jesus and humble obedience to His command to love others. That's what brings on spiritual maturity. Unfortunately, negatively, it means that you can end up with this. got a good haircut but you can end up with a person who is physically an adult and even a senior adult but because they haven't intentionally gumnadzeed exercised vigorously to see the behaviors of jesus in their life to connect with jesus and to humbly obey his command to love others you can end up with someone who has an adult body and a pacifier And when they don't get their way, they scream and cry. And they just want things done for them. And they just want to be fed. But they don't want to gumnadze. 
I was talking to Ron Blake one time, a district superintendent in our church of our, uh, the Nazarene, and he said, there are churches out there. And they know how to do church well. They've been around church for a long time. They know how to do a great service. But they're about an inch deep spiritually. And maturity-wise, they are still babies. But it also means that more than age, more than your status or possessions, spiritual maturity is about movement. It is about following where God leads. I want to tell you about a a young man, incredibly young man. His name is Austin Goodwine. And Austin Goodwine was nine years old when he saw a video about the AIDS epidemic and the orphans that it was creating because whole families were dying of AIDS and leaving the kids, moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents, entire generations were being wiped out. And he saw the need of these kids and he felt like God was calling him to move and to do something about it. God called a nine-year-old boy to take on the AIDS epidemic. He looked and he said, what, do I, what, do I, what can I do? And at nine years of age, he decided, I'm going to shoot 2,000 free throws and ask people to sponsor me so I can help these orphans that are being created. On that day, when the day came, he got all the sponsors and all these things. When the day came, he shot 2,057 free throws. He raised $3,000 and World Vision took that money and blessed eight orphans for that whole year. He took care of their education, their food, their shelter, anything they needed. It was such an inspiration that they decided to do it again and more people began to do it and more people began to do it and more people began to do it. And Austin is now 21 years old and Hoops for Hope has raised over $4 million and built hospitals, schools, uh, wells. It's amazing. When one nine-year-old boy was spiritually mature enough because he understood that it's about connecting with Jesus and a humble obedience to his call to obey uh, the command to love others. That it was a movement that he was called to do something and to move towards what God was calling him to do and trust that it was his power at work in Austin. Austin's now a youth pastor. Isn't that cool? Christian maturity begins to grow. This is important. This is what all the disciplines are about. Christian maturity begins to grow when you can sense that your concern for others outweighs your concern for yourself. That's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is maturing you to look like Jesus. That Eusebia... The godliness, those behaviors of Jesus are beginning to flow. When you begin to sense that your concern for others outweighs your concern for yourself. The best example I've seen of this happened in the last two weeks. The gentleman there is Botham Jean. Many of you have already heard about this. Botham was an accountant. He's from St. Lucia, but he was living in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he was an accountant for PricewaterhouseCooper. He was doing very well for himself. He was in his apartment one night, and he was sitting there. The young woman who is there, Amber Geiger, was a Dallas police officer. She came home from working a double shift, was tired, and got off the elevator in the wrong floor. And when she went, she saw that what she thought was her door slightly open. She came in, she saw Botham Jean there, and she thought that someone had broken into her apartment. She fired her, her pistol, and she killed Botham there in his own apartment. 
The trial went on. And you know, a couple weeks ago, she was convicted of murder and sentenced to 10 years in jail, in prison. Now, I'm not here to get into all of that. What I want you to see is a young person, a young man. This is, this is Brant Jean. He was 17 years old when his older brother was killed. He sat through the trial. He sat through all the lawyers speak. He held his mom's hand. He cried at all that was going on. And when the sentence was passed and Amber was given 10 years in prison, he was called upon as an 18-year-old young man to come and give the victim impact statement to say what this meant for for him personally. And so he took the stand and he walked up and he began his statement like I think you would expect. He said, I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time, looking her right in the eye, how much you have taken from us. I think you know that. But I just, I I hope you go to God with all the guilt, all the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something we're not supposed to do. I want you to hear the rest of this from his own words. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I I personally want the best for you. And I I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
young people. Set the example. What better example of purity can there be than the forgiveness of someone who doesn't earn it? What better example of our faith can there be? The example of the God who forgave us when we threw everything back in His face. What better example of love in your conduct could it be than to forgive someone? And this was done by an 18-year-old man. So young people, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. You are fully capable of setting the example for us in love, in conduct, in faith, and in purity, and in speech. And Paul calls you today to that. So that means those of you who are not youth, are we going to let them? Are we going to get out of the way and make even they're going to do it differently than our generation does it and the generations before my generation? They're going to look, it's going to look entirely different. But God is calling them and we're not to look down on them. We're to celebrate them and we're to get out of the way and we're, we're to put in earplugs if we have to, uh, because the music's too loud or something along those lines. Who knows? Maybe they'll go opposite direction and be quiet again. But we have to train and step aside and come alongside and bless them and celebrate them and encourage them and set them loose because they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church right now. And we need you guys and ladies. Young people, will you set the example? Will you be like Brant, John? Will you be agents of God's forgiveness in your school and in your homes? Just like Brant said, I think the best for you is to give your life to Christ. Some of you here today have never given your life to Christ. You've never said, I know and trust that God loves me. That God so loved me that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believed in Him would have eternal life. I think the best thing for you today would be to give your life to Christ. But there are some of you who have been coming to church and yeah, you've said a prayer that said, Jesus, I want to be saved. And He has done that because He loves you. But there, are, there is more work that God wants to do in you through His Holy Spirit. And for some of you, today might be the day where you give all of your life to Christ. Where, where you say, I want you to take my hopes and my dreams. I want you to take my fears and my worries and my anxieties. I want you to take my career path. I believe that you have what's best for me. And I want to surrender to you. And I want you to call the shots. And I want to say yes to what you are calling me to do. And I want to gumnadze after godliness. And I agree with Brant. The best thing would be to give your life to Christ and to give all of your life to Christ. So will you. We're going to pray here in a second and Lori's going to play something. But I just wonder today, young people, 
Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Set the example. Will you give your life to Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, you set us the example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faithfulness, and in purity. And now you call us, no matter what age we may be, to do the same. And your Spirit will help us. It's your power at work in us. And I just believe, and I have come to know deep in my soul as a 48-year-old man, that the best thing I ever did was give my life to you. To let you shape the dreams and the hopes. They were some dreams and hopes that I didn't even know I wanted until you presented them. But in saying yes to you over the years, I've come to know the best thing that anyone could do is give their life to Christ and give it fully. So I pray today for my young brothers and sisters that you would, through your Holy Spirit, you would come right now and tap them on the shoulder and they would hear the words of Brant John saying, the best thing you could do is give your life to Christ. And that they would come and they would kneel and they would say yes to giving their life to you. I pray, Jesus, you would lead them and help them to do that even right now. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to invite anyone 30 years of age or younger who is either saying for the first time or fully for the first time, I want to give my life to Christ. I would love for you to come. We have a place here in the front. It's called an altar. You can kneel there and we will pray with you. Paul went on to say to Timothy, don't neglect the gift that was given you when the older folk gathered around you and laid their hands and prayed for you. We'll do that. Will you come? Will you come? Just come right now, right where you are, right where you are, right where you are. 30 years or younger, you're saying, I will give my life to Christ. Would you come right now? It doesn't matter if this is your first day here or you've been here since you can remember. Would you come now? Best thing you could do is give your life to Christ. Would you come? I know it's hard. I know you'd have to stand up. I know you'd have to come and kneel. That's okay. You come. Some have come. Will you join them? Don't miss out on the best thing that could be for your life. Would you come right now, right where you are, young person? God will bless you. God will help you. Will you be an example? You come. 30 years of age or younger, you come. You come right now, right where you are. Some have come. Don't miss out. It's the best thing. It's the best thing. You come. You come today. Come and kneel. Someone will come and pray. Those who are coming to pray, just put a hand on a shoulder. Because we want to bless them. They're saying yes to the best thing possible in their life. The best thing possible in their life they're saying yes to.
Anybody else want to come? All right, the young people are here. Now, if you don't fall in that 30 or younger and you want to come, and you want to say, I I want to grow spiritually, I don't want to be a baby anymore, you want to come, you come now too. Come on, come on, there are some of you here. There are some of you here and that's okay. You come too. I want to say yes, I want to give my life to Christ fully and completely. You come, just come and kneel. Someone will gather around. We're going to pray. I, I am going to say amen at the end of the prayer and bless you. But this is the most important work of the church right here. So I'm going to ask you to save your conversations till you're out. Or, I know this is old school, you could just sit there and pray for the people who are up here until they're done. Well, let's pray. God, this is important work. I'm so grateful. For these who have come and said yes to you, to give their life fully to you, I pray that they would see your smile, they would receive your grace and your mercy. If they are in need of forgiveness and saving, that you would bless them with that. And if they are giving you their hopes and fears, their dreams and their worries, that you would calm them and fill them with your spirit so that they would go out knowing that through your strength at work within them, they are able to set the examples for the believers. They will show us what true faith looks like. They will show us what love and purity look like. And it may look different, but it is what you are calling them to. Forgive us who are not young for our cynicism that looks down, that calls them by their generational name with contempt. And help us to move instead to being cheerleaders, encouragers, those who bless, and those who train and stand aside to let them show what your Spirit can still do in the church of Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in the name of our example, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, I don't want anybody to feel like they have to rush up out of the altar. If there's more you need to say or you just want somebody to to say a little prayer with you, you can stay and just pray. Just pray. You can do that. But for the rest of you, pray that you would give your life to Christ if you didn't today. It's the best thing you could do. I pray you would understand and know His deep love for you and all the world. And I pray that He would bless you and keep you, make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go reverently, go quietly. There are those who are praying. Or you may stay and sit and pray for them. God bless you as you go.